Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Yo, what's up, family and friends? Thanks for hanging out in the room uh, with us. For everybody joining us online, thanks for crashing a party. Starting a brand new series today called Easter Eggs. Um, If you're a gamer or into like tech and software, you know the term Easter egg refers to something that is hidden within the game, a hidden level or a hidden character, a hidden aspect of the game. And if you're not a gamer, then uh, you just know it's a regular game where, where kids go around and look for eggs filled with candy or or if you're at a good Easter egg hunt, money uh, will be in the egg. And uh, when you think of Easter, the reason why we, we call this uh, series Easter Eggs is I, I know that when you think of Easter, you probably think of some main stories in the Bible. Probably you think of the Lord's Supper, uh, the Last Supper. You think of uh, Good Friday, the crucifixion, Palm Sunday, that's next Sunday. It's a popular story uh, in, in the Easter story. And then of course, Easter Sunday, the tomb is empty, Resurrection Sunday, in, incredible. So maybe you think of those when you think of Easter, but there are actually a lot of different stories, little smaller nuances that happen in between those major events that make up the last week of Jesus's life here on earth. They're, they're kind of hidden stories that maybe if you've been going to church for a while, you've never heard these sermons preached in an Easter series before. Uh, maybe they're, they're kind of hidden aspects of it. So that's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. We're going to look at the stories that make up the Easter story, maybe that you haven't heard of in a long time. Or maybe you've heard sermons on, you've heard pastors talk about them, but never connected them uh, to, to the Easter story. Um, and today, as a, as a faith family, maybe you noticed in the chair back in front of you, we're, we're taking uh, communion. And uh, communion is something that, that we do on a quarterly basis. There's nothing magic about that, that number. The reason why we don't do it every week is we want uh, this to be an intentional, special time in the life of our church. Not something that we ever get used to, that just becomes routine, like, oh, you know, it's communion again. We do this every Sunday. Uh, this is just the reason why we do it. We want to space it out and, and dedicate the whole message message to it. The whole time that we're together explaining the significance behind what Jesus did right there at the Last Supper. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to know what the Last Supper is or the Lord's Supper. Uh, Even if you've never been to church, you have seen the painting by Leonardo da Vinci that that he made so famous, this mural painting of Jesus and and all of the guys sitting at the same side of the table. Has that ever bothered you before? Like, you ever seen a table where everybody sits on the same side except at a wedding? Like, no, I don't know why no one was on this side of the table, but they all wanted to sit beside each other uh, in that that painting. Um, So that's... That's where this idea, the Last Supper, it got its name because this was the literal last meal that Jesus would share with his disciples before he was arrested, put on trial, and crucified. And so the, the Last Supper, the last meal. But there's actually, uh, you've probably heard about that. We've probably done that here at Revo around the Easter season, always make communion a, a part of our Easter season. But, but there's actually another part of the, the communion story that maybe you're not familiar with. This text that we're going to look at today is something that happened right after the disciples and Jesus had their last supper together. So before we take communion as a a faith family, I want to unpack maybe an Easter 
egg, maybe a little hidden story that you didn't realize was directly connected to that, that famous mural, this famous event where Jesus enjoyed this last supper with his followers. Um, it, this story actually happens right after his disciples leave the upper room right before Jesus gets arrested. There's this leadership principle that I, I don't know if you've heard it before, um, but it, it, it says this, um, you, you, you don't need to let anyone see you sweat in leadership. Don't let them see you fret. Don't let people see you get ruffled. Uh, I, I like the analogy of a duck. Uh, good leaders are like a duck. Above water, everything looks smooth and graceful and in control. But if you got a little peek underneath the water, you would see those little orange feet moving like 100 miles an hour, working really hard. On top, everything looks great. Cool, calm, collected. Underneath where no one can see is pandemonium and, and hard work. If you've ever heard that, uh, Jesus had obviously never heard that. No one gave him the memo uh, that you shouldn't let anybody see you sweat because we're gonna get to see a story of Jesus and he's gonna reveal a part of his life that he has never shown any of his followers. These 12 men that had followed him for three and a half years, they're gonna see a side of Jesus that Jesus had never shown. This hidden aspect of him that would only come to fruition in the last few hours of his freedom. So today, I want to introduce you to the story that happens right after the disciples leave that upper room. Jesus moves with his 12 disciples to a a garden, actually. It's an olive grove and where he's going to spend some time praying to God. This olive grove is not only a place where olives were grown, but it was an olive press in the middle of it where the olives are taken off the tree, put in a press and squeezed and pressed and crushed down so that they could bottle olive oil. That's actually where this garden gets its name, the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means pressing or crushing. And Jesus moves with his disciples right after he observes communion, this this last supper with his disciples. And right before he gets arrested, this is the setting. This is the, the hidden story in the Easter message. And what I wanna do is I wanna look at this story today with you. If you have your Bible, let's do Matthew chapter 26. Before we, we take communion, I wanna bring in maybe a story that you haven't heard of in a long time or didn't even realize that it was so connected to the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. And I wanna draw some truths in to you. And, and, and really, I think there's some things today that we can learn, some, some truths, some lessons from the garden as Jesus prays here with his disciples. I wanna read just the whole story of what happened in the garden in its entirety. And then I wanna share with you three things that I think are prevalent in our lives today. Three lessons that we can learn from Jesus's time. In, In Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36, the text says, then Jesus went with his disciples after they had left the Lord's Supper, this, this upper room, He went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. Those are James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Jesus took his, his, his three closest followers, his BFFs, I guess, James, John, and Peter, and, and he, he gave them this command. He says, I, I, I'm going to go over there and pray. And I don't know if it, if it dawned on you that when Jesus looked at them and says, I am overwhelmed, I'm sorrowful to the point of death. If I were a follower of Jesus, that would have been the moment where I would hit the panic button. <laughs> Because this is the same Jesus that while the storm was raging, he was in the bottom of the boat sleeping. Like nothing ruffles this guy. He's never been worried before. Like he's never had a time where his disciples looked at him and they were like, guys, I'm starting to worry about this. Like, <laughs> this is not looking good. I'm sorrowful. I'm, I'm down. Jesus was always the one that was helping them to be encouraged and saying, I've got this. Be calm. It's okay. Just pump your brakes. God's in control. I've got a plan. I'm going to make it happen. But in this moment, Jesus looks at his disciples and he is obviously troubled, obviously overwhelmed. That, that would have been something for me, like hit the panic button on that one. But these disciples uh, responded in, in, a, in a very different way. Going a little farther, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Not as I will, but as you will. You might be thinking, what, what do you mean cup? Is this connected to communion? This cup? Or is he holding a cup? Or what, what, what did Jesus mean by cup? Well, scholars tell us that there's two reasons why Jesus could have used that analogy. Number one, Jesus could have been talking about a cup of sorrow. Jesus knew what he was getting ready to face. He knew that the crown of thorns would be placed on his head. He knew that he would be whipped and beaten. He knew that he would be crucified and it would be a bloody, gruesome death. Jesus knew that the next 48 hours for him were gonna be bad. He knew that he would suffer. And when he talks about let this cup pass over me, some scholars say this is Jesus's way of saying this suffering that I'm gonna face. God, dad, father, if there's any way I don't have to go through this, if there's any way that I don't have to suffer, then God, I want to call in a favor. Like I, I, I want to I, I be able to pass over this suffering. I, I don't want to endure what I'm getting ready to have to over these next few hours. The other common explanation is this cup defines the cup of wrath. It's God's wrath all throughout scripture. We see this analogy of the wrath of God being poured out on humanity. You and I sin. There are consequences for sin. That wrath gets put on us or poured out on us. And what the Bible teaches is that when Jesus was going to be crucified, the wrath of God, the consequences for your sins and my sins would be poured out on Jesus. And Jesus knew that. He says, I'm getting ready to have to face the consequences and bear the burden for mistakes and sins that I did not commit. I know the wrath and anger of God towards sin. And Jesus prays, God, if there's any way that that wrath doesn't have to be poured out on me, if there's any way that I don't have to drink that cup and pay the price, then I'm all ears, God. I'm listening if, if there's a way out, if there's a plan B, if there's a backup, I want to know it right now. He prays that. He says, yet, yet not as I will, but God, whatever your plan is. Verse 40, this is when, this is when it starts getting frustrating. Then Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Come on, Peter. You had one job, bro. One job. Jesus asked you to stay here. And pray. 
And he comes back. He says, couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus has been gone about 45 minutes. <laughs> like Peter, I'm not asking you to stay up all night long. I'm not asking you to pull an all-nighter and pray. I'm just like, like, I left you less than an hour ago, and I asked you to do one thing, and you couldn't do it. You didn't do it. You failed. You dropped the ball on the one thing that I asked you to do. Jesus went away a second time, and he prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. Again, Jesus asked, is there another way? Is there a second way? Is there another plan for me not to have to die for the sins of the world? When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Uh, growing up, uh, one time I remember I, my mom, I was sitting next to my mom in church. I know you guys would never do this to me, but uh, one time my dad was preaching and I fell asleep um, in the middle of the service. And um, you know, like my mom woke me up. And when my mom like tapped me to wake me up, you ever tried to pretend like you weren't asleep when somebody catches you asleep, right? And that was me. I was just like, no, I wasn't asleep. I was praying. Uh, I had my eyes closed. I was praying. There's a, there's a little pointer. If anybody catches you sleeping in the middle of the service and they tap you on the shoulder, here's what you do. This is what, it, this is what you're going to get out of it. Right before you look up, just say, amen. And then look up. And they're going to be like, oh, you were praying. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like that was Peter, right? Jesus is like, really, guys? And Peter's like, nope, I was praying. Nope, was praying. Just had my eyes closed. And he's, it's obviously like his eye. You, you could tell that he was sleeping. Jesus comes back a second time and he finds them asleep. So verse 44, so he left them and went away once more and prayed for the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And the very next verse says that as Jesus was saying those things, Judas walks into the Garden of Gethsemane, followed by Roman soldiers that would ultimately arrest Jesus on the spot. There's so much in this text that offers some insight into the real reason behind why we celebrate Easter. And it connects not only what happens before in the upper room as the disciples share the Lord's Supper, but it gives us context for what Jesus is going to do next. And so I want to, I want to give you three things before we take communion together, three things that if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Three lessons that we learn from the garden. Here's the first one, write it down. Get it. If you don't get this, you're going to miss the whole story of Easter. Number one, you will never be good enough. I know your mom told you you were good enough. Like everyone you've ever grown up with says you're good enough, you can do it. You can't. You are not good enough. I am not good enough. Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to pray with him. He said, here's the deal, guys, one job. I need for you to pray. I just want you to pray with me I want you to pray for me. My heart is troubled. The things that I've been telling you guys are gonna happen. One day I will give my life. One day I'll be crucified for the sins of the world. It's happening. The wheels are in motion and it won't be long before right out of those bushes, someone is gonna walk to arrest me and our lives are gonna change just like that. So would you just do me a favor? Would you pray? Would you pray with me? And Peter had one job. 
Not one time, not two times, but three times Jesus comes back to Peter after giving him his one job, James and John, and they are sleeping. Like, really, guys? After all I've done for you, after all the miracles, after how selflessly I have served you over these three and a half years of ministry, like, I ask you guys one favor in my darkest hour, and you can't even stay awake to pray? Like, you're not even bothered. Like, you don't even care enough about me to stay up and just pray. Like, I'm not asking you to do something crazy or, or something that's going to cost you a lot of money or time. Like, just close your eyes and pray. And you can't even do that. And if we're not careful, it's really easy for us to read a story like this and start to dogpile on Peter. Come on, Peter. Really? You going to let Jesus down like that? Peter, you obviously have a zero discipline. You do not care about your boy Jesus. Like you, you, like you flat out just said, you promised you would do something. Yes, Lord, I'm going to stay here and pray. I'm going to do that. Remember, this is the same guy that said, Lord, I will not betray you. It's not going to be me. I'm going to stick by your side the whole time. Man, you can't even stay up long enough. And it's easy to look at Peter and be like, man, what a loser. <laughs> Until you realize in this story, you're Peter. And I'm Peter. Because here's the reality. God has given us this book, which tells us exactly what we're supposed to do as followers of God. It's written. We can look at it. We can read it anytime. He says, God says, these are the commands. This is what it means to be a follower of God. These are the rules. These are the commands. These are the guardrails. You want to be successful in life? Uh, you want to be happy in life? You want to enjoy your freedoms in life? Here's how you're going to do it. And yet how many times has God come back and we weren't doing what he asked us to do? Once, twice, three times. We're Peter. We were the ones that knew exactly what God called us to do, yet we chose to do something different. We chose to look at God and promise him that we would do it and promise him we'd never do that again. And yet the next time God shows up, we're doing exactly the thing that we said we wouldn't do. We drop the ball again. We're walking away from God again. We're disobeying God again. And here in the midst of this story, Jesus walks up three times and tells Peter, essentially, you're not good enough. I asked you to stay awake and pray, and you didn't. You dropped the ball. You're not good enough. You've sinned. You did not do what I asked you to do. And that's the base of the gospel message. That's the reason why this story is so significant because God makes it very clear. The only way that you and I are gonna get to heaven is if you live a perfect life. There are only one type of person that is allowed into heaven. That's perfect people. Here's the problem. You and I already blew that. We've sinned, not just once, not twice, but three times. Knocked down all the 10 commands. We've already broke them all of them at least once. How many times did we know what God called us to do, but instead we just put our heads down and went to sleep on it? And God shows up. We're just like Peter in this story. And that presents a problem. If you are not good enough, brings me to the second point of this story. Jesus makes it very clear. You are not good enough. And number two, there is only one way to God. There is only one way to God. 
Well, how, how do we know that? Jesus asks God that question for us. Jesus looks up at God in prayer and says, if there is any other way, listen, any other way, any other way for people to get to heaven, any other way for humanity to have a relationship with God, if there's any other religion, God, if there's another religion, if there's another savior coming, if there's a backup plan, then you need to tell me right now, like, I do not want to go through this if there's another way. If this is the only way, then I will do it and it is your will. But if there is another way, if you're gonna send another prophet or another savior or another religion, or if people can be good enough, then God, like this is a waste of time, then if there is any other way to God Jesus asked that three different times and God's answer every time was no so I I, I know even Christians that will tell you well you know I believe in Jesus and and I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did but but I don't believe come on man like how how narrow-minded do you have to believe be that, that there's only one way to heaven and it's Jesus. Like, who am I to say that, that the, the, the God that I worship and the Savior that I have is the only way? Like, are you comfortable telling everybody else that they're wrong? If you believe that there's more than one way to Jesus, there's more than one way to God except through Jesus, then let me just give you a heads up. I would never say this. I think this is a risky move. But if you say there's more than one way to God, then you are calling God a liar. I've said a lot of things to God, never called him a liar. (laughs) Proceed at your own risk. Even Jesus pleaded, God, if there's a different way, if there's another way, if there's another savior, if there's another religion, if there's another door, if you're gonna make a way, not now, but later, God, tell me now. And God's answer was no. Each time, God's answer was no, which brings up uh, a point. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This was staggering when I first thought about it. But Jesus prays a prayer three times in a row and asks his father for something, and God told him no. Ever thought about that? God told his own son, Jesus, no. God, is there another way? Do I have to do this? Like, is there an escape route? Can we hit the eject button at this point? And God says, no. And Jesus says, all right, well, if there is no other way, then then your will be done. Do it if this is your plan. What Jesus said when God closed the door, what Jesus said when God said no to his prayers is pivotal for us to understand today. Third thing I I want you to jot down is this. When God's answer is no, our answer is trust. When God said no and closed the door to Jesus's prayer, Jesus did not get mad at God. Jesus did not stomp out of the room. Jesus did not take his ball and go home. Jesus didn't say, well, if you don't do what I tell you to do, then I'm not gonna believe in you anymore. Then that means you don't exist. Then that means you aren't love. Nope. He said, God, I've asked, but if there's no other way, then I'm gonna trust you. Even if it means that I suffer. Even if it means that there's pain on my part. God, it's painful. I know what I'm getting ready to do is going to hurt. But if this is your plan for my life, then let's go.
if this is the only way, then I'm going to trust you. What about you? Will you still trust God even when he says no? Will you still trust God even when he doesn't give you your way? What happens when life gets hard? What happens when you suffer? What happens when you pray and you pray and you pray and you don't get the answer that you wanted? Will you still have faith? Will you still trust? Will you still believe and respond the way that Jesus did? You know, God, I don't understand it. I don't know about it. I don't like it. There's so much uncertainty about it. But if this is your plan, then I'm going to trust you. I don't know if you can begin to catch some of the connections between what Jesus is praying here in the garden and the meal that he enjoyed with his disciples and the semblance behind that. But I, but I want to give you a moment just to reflect. Before we take the elements together, uh, I just want to give us a moment just for you to spend some time in prayer. Just to spend some time thinking about what these actually mean. And what Jesus did when he was praying and calling out to God. Come to grips with the fact that today you are not good enough. You've already blown it. Understand that Jesus says there's only one way. Even Jesus asked the Father, hey, give me a heads up. If there's another way, tell me now. And God said, no, there's only one way. There's only one path. And then in the midst of that, are you going to trust are you going to remain faithful? Are you going to trust that even though you can't explain it and it doesn't look good, that God still has a plan and you can lean into him? Hey, before we take the elements together, let me pray for you and just give us a few moments to, to, to think about that and to rest in that as we prepare to take these elements together. God, as we read the prayer of Jesus in that garden, and we see intensity and we see your son, your only son, your beloved son. We see him calling out to you, understanding what he was getting ready to face, understanding what his future was in the next 24 hours and yet confidently looking into your face and saying, God, your plan is perfect. Your will be done in my life. God, give us the wisdom right now to know what to do with the words that we have just heard. And help open up our eyes and ears, help soften our hearts before we take these communion elements together to see you for who you really are, to see ourselves for who we really are, the sinful, broken people separated from God, to see the lifeline that you've given us through your son, Jesus, and to trust in that right now. Pray and ask those things in your son, Jesus' name. Just, just 10 verses before Jesus is praying in the garden, we find him in the upper room sitting with his disciples. The evening meal had finished and while they were sitting around the table talking, Jesus took this opportunity to explain the things that he would illustrate later. In verse 26, he says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Jesus said, you see this bread? 
It's a symbol. It's a reminder that you aren't good enough. If you were good enough, then my body wouldn't have to be sacrificed. This body wouldn't have to be broken. You are not good enough. And Jesus points at that bread and says, but I am. Jesus is good enough. Jesus is enough. And that's what he wanted us to remember when he said, every time you do this, remember me. So he took the bread and he broke it and he said, guys, you are not enough, but that's why God sent me here because I am. So as you take this bread, remember Jesus is enough. Verse 27, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, when Jesus was asking his father, is there another way? He wasn't begging to get out of it. He was making a point. And the point was this, there's only one way to God. Jesus said like, just for clarity's sake, God, I'm gonna say it three times. Is there another way? No. Is there another way? No. Is there another savior? Is there another religion? Is there a way that they can earn it apart from me dying on the cross? The answer was no. And so Jesus took the cup and he says, every time you do this, I want you to know this was the only way to reconcile us to God. There would be not a way before or a new way after. This met the requirements, a sinless man giving his life for you and for me. We will never make it to heaven one day because we are perfect, but because Jesus was perfect and his sacrifice covers our admission. Jesus said, every time you do this, I want you to remember that. Remember, not only are you not good enough, that I am sufficient, but that this was the only way for man to be reconciled back to God. Remember that every time you take it. As followers of Jesus, I, I hope today can serve as a reminder that no matter what is going on, that no matter how uncloudy or unclear the future is, even in the midst of a closed door and an answer of no from God, you can still trust him. Because even though things looked bad on Friday night, when Jesus would get arrested and crucified, God knew Sunday was coming. He had a plan the whole time. If that's you and you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I hope that reminds you that God is trustworthy. But if you're here today and you're a skeptic, you're like, man, I don't know. I just walked in off the street. First time I've been in church in a long time. What are these people doing? What's the deal? Why, why does this cracker taste like styrofoam? Why does this juice, why, like what's the deal with this little cup? I hope today is your invitation to trust God for the very first time. That you would realize you're not good enough. I don't have to have met you and known your whole life to tell you you are not good enough to get to God. 
But the great message of Easter is there was one man that was good enough to pay for your sins and his name was Jesus. And if you would simply trust him for the very first time today, your life will be changed. That's the invitation on the table to trust for the very first time or to choose to trust again that God is in control, that he loves you, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. What's your next step? today. A decision today could change not only your life now, but your eternity. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with the words that we have just heard. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for having a plan the whole time. Thank you for the example of your son, Jesus, that even in the midst of uncertainty and closed doors and knows that we can still trust you. So God, help us to focus, use this story, this extra layer, this little nuance of your prayer in the garden to teach us more about ourselves, to show us who your son Jesus is and the plan that you have to redeem the world. God, thank you. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.